in a couple weeks, I think they're just continuing to work our way down through this in, in Luke, Luke 21. Um, we see there as we step into this, and I'll just kind of give some context to give us something to think about as we come in. But if you were to just go back a couple chapters, and uh, I mean Luke 19, um, we see the triumphal entry. I'm just reading the, the titles in my Bible. We have the triumphal entry. We've got the king coming. We have them tossing down the palm branches, um, singing, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And we have Jesus weeping over Jerusalem, right? The woes. And, and I keep presenting that, that big picture that Jesus is the Messiah King had come. I mean, he, he spoke for the Father. He was of God in origin. He was from heaven. He kept saying he's sent. He's for God as King. And yet the people just rejected. So he, he's coming to Jerusalem. He knows what's before him. And, he, and he's, he's weeping, but there's also a woe. There's a curse that's, that's going to be carried out of judgment. Luke 19.45, we see him cleansing the temple. Um, we took our time through Luke 20 and just seeing the, the, the animosity and the challenging of, of Jesus' authority. And then Luke 21 just kind of steps into that scene where, where Jesus is laying out the future program. right? And, and there's so much in here. Um, and I'm going to pray just to quiet, quiet, quiet myself. And, and hopefully quiet everybody, but, but this is part of that getting wisdom and getting instruction. Right? We can go through life kind of bumbling around and, and, and just, just, just having kind of an obscure idea about something. Um, you work with an apprentice or maybe a new, I keep thinking like Lawrence at Kent, you work with somebody who's just hired, especially some of the, the younger ones, and they already know. Well, no, no, you're being trained. Right, I mean, they're, they're, you don't you know yet. That's why I'm taking the time with you. And then, you know, all of a sudden a big blunder or a computer or whatever, something goes on, and you're like, okay, I, I wish, wish you had listened. Right, and that's kind of what's been on there, whether it's apprenticeship or Bible school students. I mean, it's all, um, there's a reason why we got to quiet ourselves. And so uh, that's going to be, I'm going to present some things and we'll work through, and the application will just come from the text. But there are things that I learned that, I'm going to say, as a, again, a young man, is, is solidifying my foundation, right? what I believe, why I know I, what I believe is true. And that's what I'm going to try and pass on uh, as we step into our study this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do thank you. Uh, Lord, we thank you for this being your day. Lord, we thank you for just this place where we can come in and, and worship, where we can come in and be around Christians. If, if we take that for granted, we're missing something. There should be a breath of reprieve that we're in amongst your people. Lord, and, and I pray as we, we read, as we look at your scriptures, Lord, I pray that there would be a, a desire to get wisdom, to get instruction, that we would see just the, the pragmatic, the, the practical side of when we read your word, you speak to us and, and, and it's intended to be put in practice into our lives. And I pray that you just guide, um, guide me as I, <laughs> I take all the things that you continue to show me and try and, and put it into to, to one, one thought. And uh, yeah, I pray that you just give us a, a spirit of, of eagerness to learn. And I pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, so just with the notes, and hopefully you, you got a hold of them, Jesus in verse 5 and 6 speaks a prophecy. Right? And he says there, Then as some of them spoke of the temple and how it was adorned with beautiful stones. And I think at one point, you remember last week, I had that temple model that was out. It was just a, a beautiful building. Uh, it's donation stones and donations. He said, These things which you see, the days will come in which not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. So immediately we step into Jesus is, is speaking prophecy. Now, in today's day and age, I'm glad that, that prophecy in our circles isn't too, too prevalent. I mean, you go onto YouTube, and there's lots of self-announced prophets. Um, there's lots of different things that you can watch, and hopefully you don't, that are very, very weird. 
Um, you get into some of the Pentecostal circles and you still have people that are saying, I'm speaking for God. I'm speaking, I'm telling, I, I'm telling you, this is how it's going to happen. This is the day it's going to happen, okay? Um, there's still that element. But we, as God's people, New Testament, we come to the Word of God for prophecy. Right? We come to the Word of God knowing that this leads us into the future uh, of God's program and plan. And we know that this is without error and this is true. Um, but can you imagine what it was like living in a time where God did send messengers? Right? Where you did have John the Baptist preaching. You did have Jesus saying, I'm speaking for God and raising people from the dead. Like, I mean, that, that just, just when I think of being spiritually alive and, and thousands of people following this messenger of God, that's kind of something that I've never really considered before. Right? So now he's found himself after three and a half years of ministry in the temple, and he's saying, this is all gone, and, and there would have been a serious attention to this. Just to go over some things here with prophecy. We understand that prophecy is God's revelation of his plan through his word by his means. Right? It comes directly from God. Right? We read through scripture that, I mean, he sent prophets um, he spoke through, through some priests. He spoke through angels. He spoke through, through visions through men. Um, but it was always God's word, God's revelation, okay? God's revelation of his plan through his word by his means. It, it involved people. It involved places, promises, events, judgments, and much of prophecy included coming hope. Right? So, I mean, they, all these things included, when somebody was speaking for God in biblical times, there was that anticipation as they worked through that. When Jesus is speaking to this, this temple being thrown down throughout history, there's been a lot of different opinions. Would that be a good, good opinions, perspectives? Um, some would say that, that all this prophecy that Jesus is saying is already fulfilled in full. I would say this is a preterist view. It's already been fulfilled. And that's why I put that next point in here. When you're reading Scripture, we have to understand that whatever hasn't been fulfilled is yet to come. And we have to be careful about the partial fulfillments. Okay? Because we know that the temple was destroyed in AD 70. Right? And we're going to read a little bit about that. We know that the, the Roman general Titus came in, and I mean, it was leveled. I mean, it was just destroyed. The, the Holy of Holies, this temple, um, in, in reality, God's holy place, was burnt to the ground. But we, with the counsel of Scripture and prophecy, we know that AD 70 was only a partial fulfillment. Right? We know that the second coming of Christ, right? the Jerusalem's going to be surrounded. Zechariah chapter 14 speaks to that. Right? Daniel talks about that. The Antichrist is going to come in to this, the temple there and, and he's going to sacrifice right, a, a swine on the altar. Right? There's going to be a blasphemous time. We know prophecy and that's the complete fulfillment. So we have to be careful as we read through Scripture. Okay? Be careful of historical partial fulfillments. Don't set dates. <laughs> right? I don't... Uh, Anybody had much interaction with Seventh-day Adventists? Not, not a whole, no? I know uh, Pastor Wayne Haken and the guy that did his hardwood floors, he was a Seventh-day Adventist pastor. Um, they got some churches just over across the border in, in northern Maine. And um, I mean, he, he believed, I'm going to say the gospel, and, 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 and we could share about the cross and Jesus, and, and, but then things deviated very quickly with dates and, and numbers and, and, and what have you, right? And that all comes from not improper hermeneutics, but, but not viewing prophecy and understanding that there is partial and there is full fulfillment. So be careful. Don't set dates. God's fullness of time um, is his time, not ours. And uh, with that being said, just come down to the one point. I, I thought to myself, prophecy is not for scholars, it's for parents and people in the pews. Right? There's no reason why we can't understand the prophecies right? if we're intentional on learning them. And prophecy is to be studied and taught by pastors. 
And the prophecy and understanding God's program is what builds a biblical depth into the people. It's what, it's what equips them for spiritual growth. And that's part of the reason why we're going to take this time um, to work through this. So we understand there's partial fulfillment, full fulfillment. Uh, I would call that a near prophecy, near prophetic fulfillment. And then we have far, and we're going to work through there in both. So read with me. We're going to step into this in verse 7. And uh, then we're going to go through some really, but I, I just want us to grasp, kind of settle ourselves, because we very rarely consider the applications of what this must have meant for the people sitting in the house of God at this time. And again, think, think of the hope. Like, I mean, they, they, in many cases, they had just had this parade that Jesus was going to bring in the kingdom. That Jesus was going to make things right. He was going to take his throne. Think of, think of what that meant for families and future. I mean, think of, of all the different thought processes that were going on. So Jesus tells them that the temple is going to be destroyed. In verse 7, it says, So they asked him, saying, Teacher, when will these things be? And what sign will there be when these things are about to take place? I mean, naturally, I mean, there's some doubts, there's some questioning, there's some testing going on. And he said, take heed that you not be deceived. For many will come in my name saying, I am he. And the time has drawn near. That's going to be their message. Right? This, the kingdom has come. Right? Or, or, or God's going to deliver us. Or, and there's this false, and, and, and they're not speaking for God here because Jesus has already mourned for Jerusalem. This judgment in AD 70 is going to take place. And this is Jesus' warning. He's saying, people are going to come. Don't listen to them. This judgment is going to happen. And, and, and just pay attention, because I found something really neat um, with that. It says, therefore, do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Okay? Now, we understand that. Now, I've had many conversations you know, David, Jeremiah, that there's a shadow of things to come, right, as, as, as the governments and world and, and wars over oil and pestilence and all those things. We know that as the church, we're removed from that, right? The rapture is going to take place. We will not walk through that wrath. We have that promise. But for these people in the first century, Jews, like sitting in the temple there, you know, what was it like? You know, Jesus is saying that there's going to be war in our country. What does, what does famine do? Famine kills people. My children are going to starve. Is that what you're telling us, Jesus? You know, is that, is, that, is that what you're explaining to us? And that's what he's explaining. I mean, prophetically, he's saying there, you're going to walk through this. But he says, don't be terrified. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilences, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. I think in that time for Israel, I mean, this isn't about the war over in Russia when Jesus is saying this. This isn't a world, you know, a war over in a different continent. The world wasn't set up like that at that time. They didn't have internet. They didn't have world news, right? When Jesus is talking about famines and wars and all that stuff, it's local, and it's going to be happening in the world that they know. And that brings that all just kind of in your front doorstep. It would be like, you know, the civil war in the States if it was to take place. Right? That would become very real in a hurry to us, wouldn't it? It's not Russia. It's right here on our front doorstep. I'm just trying to get across as they're listening to Jesus' words. They're like, what? You know, I'm going to go through that? My kids are going to go through that? That's the realness of this. But verse 12, he says, But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you and deliver you up to the synagogues and the prisons. But you will be brought, oh, pardon me, you will be brought before kings and rulers for my name's sake. It's that idea in the midst of, of that turmoil, starvation, wars, uh, pandemics, you know, all that different stuff, right? You're going to be brought before the government. You're going to be thrown in prison. 
right? And this is all part of Jesus' plan, the king's plan. But it will turn out for you an occasion for testimony. Therefore, settle it in your hearts not to meditate beforehand on what you will answer. For I will give you a mouth of wisdom which all your adversaries will not be able to contradict or resist. Right? And we read that Sunday night about Stephen, right, in Acts chapter 6. And that's exactly almost word for word. Imagine that. <laughs> Luke wrote both books. <laughs> As the Spirit led him in that, they could not resist what Stephen was saying as he proclaimed the word of God. They had nothing to say, right, as he spoke on behalf of God, as the Spirit through Stephen spoke. You will be betrayed even by parents and brothers, relatives and friends. They will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all for my name's sake. Right, as people stand for Christ, as they draw his lines according to his, his, the, his words, according to, to God's words, right? There's going to be a hatred uh, towards the knowledge, towards truth, towards you as you stand on this. But not a hair of your head shall be lost. By your patience, possess your souls. Possess your life, right? This life, the next knowing the promises, and we'll get there. I mean, this takes us... This passage or this couple verses here from 12 down is a reminder. If you were to go to, to Matthew chapter 10, when the 12 apostles are first sent out, this is all found there. These instructions are all there in Matthew chapter 10. They knew what it meant to represent Christ in this world that has a hatred towards knowledge, towards truth, towards instruction. But God has this, this promise, well, God has his promise. God has given those who place their faith in him a promise, right, of this life, and life in this life, and life in the next. Verse 20, we continue on. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then you know that its desolation is near. And this is again, like as we opened up with the prophecy, you have a, a near prophetic fulfillment, because Jerusalem is going to be destroyed in AD 70. I mean, historically, eyewitness. I mean, it's been carried on for 2,000 years. The, 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 the authenticity there that Jerusalem was destroyed in AD 70, it's true. But that's not the full prophetic fulfillment of this because we know that it's going to happen again at the second coming of Christ. That should kind of have us focus on the seriousness, right? Hey, the... the, 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 the I'm going to say the brevity of life, but the, the, the seriousness, the tone, right? That God has judged this city once, and this is what it looked like, right? This people once, this is what it looks like, and it's going to look like Zechariah 14, then when he returns, Revelation 19, when he returns. It says, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation is near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, let those who are in the midst of her depart, and let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance. Whose vengeance? God's. Right? I mean, he warned prophet after prophet. I mean, <laughs> prophetically, I mean, they had all the warning. I mean, that's grace. That's love. Repent and turn. Jesus' whole message Repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. God didn't want to destroy this city. God doesn't want to, to, to have this loss of life. And yet it's the people's choice. And that's what happened in AD 70, and that's the same as what's going to take place, the second coming of Christ, as people gather to battle against the king of kings, lord of lords. And we think the futility of that, but the world will be organized. right? And Christ will come back. We'll all come back on white horses. But we see that he's saying, flee, right? Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let those who are in the midst of her depart. Let not those who are in the country enter her. For these are the days of vengeance that all things which are written may be fulfilled. Right? Now be careful. Now we have a lot of prophetic scriptures that point towards the destruction of Jerusalem. But we know that, that there are aspects to the prophecy in the Old Testament that are not completely fulfilled. And whatever is not fulfilled in prophecy is yet to 
come. Do we see that? Because it's very, very important. So yes, AD 70 is destroyed, but we understand that not all those details in Zechariah 14 were fulfilled. And we very much know that Jesus is not on the throne, earthly throne. Yeah, let me... Jesus is on the throne, but he's not sitting in Jerusalem. He's not, not ruling in, in a bodily form in Jerusalem right now. So we know that the prophetic fulfillment of that is coming. Verse 23 says, But woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress in the land and wrath upon this people. Whose wrath? Right? And that's not, we had a discussion Saturday morning with the men. When we're talking about God and his character biblically, there has to be that balance. Right? Of grace, love, and mercy seen as he sent his son to die on the cross. That fatherly love that's there. Right? But it has to be balanced with that if there's disobedience, if there's rejection, right? God is a God of justice, of discipline, of chastisement, of wrath. There is an eternity where people who reject the gospel will spend <laughs> eternity separated from God in torment. And he hasn't kept that secret. So you have the wrath upon this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled by Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And that's where our Lord Jesus, King of Kings, takes his kingdom, takes his earthly kingdom, and he, and he removes it, and he purifies it, and he takes his place on his throne in Jerusalem. Verse 25 says, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distress, of nations with perplexity and the sea and waves roaring. So, I mean, you picture, I mean, the, the tension and, and, I mean, creation itself is groaning and things are just not normal. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, it's supposed to be catching people's attention. I mean, th again, it's, a, it's an act of God's grace as he's saying, wake up, right? As he's pouring these things out. Now, I'm not sure what it will take, <laughs> Right? And, and, and that's why he's, he's in this. Men's hearts failing them from fear and the expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Imagine, I mean, just, just stars, the heavens, the, the wind, temperature, everything that's affected there. I mean, everything just is, we would say, scientists would say it's out of sorts, global warming probably, you know, something along those lines, right? And we're being humor with this, but it's God, right? And he's, he's catching the attention. He's displaying. He says, I, I, I told you I was going to do these things. The time to, to recognize me is now. And you read through, read through Revelation 6 to 19, and you see those things, right? Again, it's grace in the midst of him judging, right? Turn, 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 Verse 27, then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now, this is where your Revelation 19 comes in. Now when these things begin to happen, look up and lift your heads because your redemption is near. It's quite a bit to chew on, isn't it? But I think it's really, really good to submerse ourselves in. Right, recognizing, I mean, we take a lot for granted right now. Right, we do. We, we truly do. We have the message of the, the, the cross. We sing. We worship, right? But there is a time coming of reckoning. There's a time coming of, of all these details that are just going to, to wreak havoc on people that don't know wisdom, don't know instruction, don't know the truth. There's a, there's a seriousness that comes with that. I just kind of like to, to, to lay out um, this morning how the, the person sitting here in this temple would have grasped this. Right? As the Jew sitting here listening to Jesus, 
because, I mean, they've been anticipating their Messiah, anticipating their, their Messiah King. And again, most often when we read through Luke 21, we're thinking for us, you know, for us. I mean, we're going to be raptured. Um, then we, we get into the revelation and the seven-year tribulation and everything that God's going to pour out. And it's very, very interesting. But what must it have been like for the Jews sitting there reading it? So I'm going to invite you to turn with me to, to Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4. And I just want you to think, okay, if I was this first century Jew listening to Jesus, what was I anticipating? And part for me there, as I, as I lay this foundation, let's say the biblical Jesus comes with a serious tone. Because right? quite often we're very casual with Jesus. Would we admit to that when we talk about Jesus and we love Jesus and, and oh yes, I know Jesus and I follow Jesus and I obey Jesus and yet the truth of the matter is we don't really know a whole lot about him. The idea of, of seeking and pursuing and, 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 and going deeper and quieting ourselves, that's where that word casual comes in. That burden isn't there. But for the Jew, I mean, flesh and blood, the message, the miracles, and now he's prophetically saying that, that God's going to destroy my place of worship. You know, just the, I mean, I mean that, there's some serious things there, and there's pictures of Jesus that, that, that I just don't grasp. But for the first century Jew, like the, the last words recorded in the canon of Scripture, Old Testament, was Malachi's message in chapter 4. And they're, they're very familiar in bits and pieces. But as John the Baptist proclaimed the coming Christ, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that includes the cross. It, it also includes their, him taking his throne when he, he brings things into submission, right? He's going to, to renew and, and, and bring things to where they need to be. Chapter 4 has a big part in their understanding as Jesus is in the temple. It says, For behold, the day is coming burning like an oven. What does an oven do? Well, I don't think it's supposed to normally burn in, in 20, 2022. I mean, things burning in your oven, there's something wrong. Uh, I probably mean I have to go buy Chris a new oven. Um, but, but I mean, think of it, burning, you know, flames, okay? All right, burning like an oven. And all the proud, yes, and all who do wickedly will be stubble. And the day which is coming shall burn them up. Right, as John the Baptist is preaching, there is a, a very pointed, direct form of judgment with that. It's time to repent. It's time to turn. When the king comes, right, he's bringing judgment, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave not them neither root nor branch, but to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. Who's the Son of Righteousness? Jesus, the Messiah, God's Son. You shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet. On the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts, remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet, Right, we recognize that as they listen to John the Baptist, okay? Before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now we recognize, again, that, that near and far, partial and, and full. I mean, when John the Baptist came, it had a tone, a very pointed, direct tone of judgment. Right? But we know that the day of the Lord, this, this final purifying, when the, the second coming of Christ, has not happened yet. Right? So we have near, and then we look at our scriptures and we read about the far that's coming. And that's where your Revelation and your Zechariah 14 come in. Okay? But as they were sitting at the temple and Jesus is talking about this judgment that's coming, they understood the tone. It was always partnered. When the Messiah King came, it came with purifying judgment and that restoration hope. So let's go to Matthew. 
Matthew chapter 3, and I just, just, just want to connect this. Matthew chapter 3. We'll just read John the Baptist's words here in verse 11 and 12. As I mean, when they, they looked at Jesus, they understood the hope and the promise that he brought. But when your, your nation, who has the scriptures, when your nation has the temple, is living in apostasy, when your nation has rejected living in obedience before God, I'm going to say there's some things that need to change. Right? And for many cases... When people's hearts are hard, when government leaders' hearts are hard, when, when, when culture is hardened against the things of God, it just needs to be burnt away. It just needs to be judged. It just needs to be purified. And unfortunately, that involves death. That involves, you know, war. That involves, I mean, all the things that we read through Scripture. John the Baptist's message in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11 it says, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. I recognize, I mean, speaking to the first century Jews here, recognize that your lives are not in order with God's commands. You're living in disobedience. You're living in broken fellowship. Repent. You know what you need to do. Turn to Him. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And what? And fire. Right? And we have these promises in our New Testament where we're dwelling in the new current promise. I understand that when I place my faith in Christ, that he is the Son of God, that he died on the cross for me, right? And for all men, um, his blood paid the price for all sin, that he was buried, he rose again on the third day, he's sitting at the right hand of the Father, right? When I placed my faith in him, I received his Holy Spirit, right? Part of, the, of that God's promise, that cannot be removed. Right? But at the same time, I also recognize that Jesus is not on the throne yet, earthly throne. I gotta figure out a different way of saying that. He's on the throne, but not the earthly throne, okay? And he is coming, and I know that. But I also know that when my king comes, right, it's going to become with a, a fire, a purifying. He's going to judge. He's, he's going to remove. He's going to make sure that every knee is bent and every tongue is confessing. And, and, and the sad thing is that there's so much rejecting, there's going to be much death. It says, he will baptize you with Holy Spirit, and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hands, this purifying judgment, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Right? This consuming fire, he's just, it, it's, 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 he's just going to deal with rejection, with sin, um, with rebellion of humanity. He's just going to deal with it. And that's a sobering, sobering tone. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. And I know when you realize in Matthew 12 that some of these same people participating in this unpardonable sin some of these same people are sitting in the temple listening to Jesus in Luke 21. Right? They're, they're, there's mocking. They're, there's a hardened hearts. I mean, when you think of the unpardonable sin, I don't, I don't know how more clear or clearer God could have presented his son. Right? I mean, John the Baptist announced him. God the Father, in, in three different occasions, announced him with a voice from heaven. You had the signs and wonders. I mean, Jesus saying, I am God's Son. I am the Messiah King. Be healed. See again, you blind man. Right? I mean, walk, you lame man. I mean, he, he's doing that in front of them. And they had all the scriptures pointing towards them. And yet in verse 31, they're like, not enough. Not good enough for me. 
right? And we see that, and I mean, it, the nature of it is we see that played out today, too, as, as, as people we witness to, as some, some of our family members. They're like, we, we know the Scriptures, but it's just not, I'm not interested. I mean, what's it going to take for them? It says, therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. And again, the principle here is Jesus, uh, the Spirit, Jesus, the Father, He's doing miracles, and the people are like, no, their hearts are that hard. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or the age to come. Jesus makes a big point here. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. They had to make a decision here. Brood of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks. A good man out of good treasure of his heart brings forth good things. And an evil man out of evil treasure brings forth excuse me, evil things. But I say to you, and this would be collectively, I mean, he's speaking to, to the leaders, he's speaking to the people around here that their hearts are this hard. I say to you that for every idle word men may speak, they will give account of it in the day of judgment. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. So we have Malachi chapter 4, we've got that John the Baptist proclamation that Jesus is coming and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And here we have them rejecting the John the Baptist ministry, the voice from heaven, the, the signs and wonders and the scriptures themselves. And they're like, no, that's, a not, that's, that's not good enough for me. And Jesus is like, that's it. You rejected me. Right? You, your words will be accounted for in judgment. Well, I'll ask this morning, what judgment? All right? We have near... 80, 70. And then we have far, second coming. So these men, and we know every man has a good woman beside them, right? These men and women, the nation of Israel, have rejected God's Son. And God couldn't do anything more. I, like, like, like I, 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 nothing more than what He did. And yet they're not good enough. So this generation is going to answer for the words for their rejection in 80, 70. Right, and God is going to destroy this temple. So in 40 years, right, some of these men would be still alive. And they would watch this played out. Why? Because they rejected the Messiah. Do we see the serious tone to this? Right, the prophecy, I mean, it does have hope, and it does have, and as we learn, but then there's a serious sign to that knowing that, that God's judgment and wrath and justice is coming. Let me come back to Luke chapter 21, and I'll try and grapple there, and uh, we'll, we'll land the plane. <laughs> There's so many, so many connections when you study through this in the near fulfillment. Now, again, I don't want to get this lost. There's near and far, but what, what, what must this have been like? for this first century audience listening. They knew the Messiah King came with this, this serious judgment tone. Right? They didn't understand everything he was teaching, but they knew that it came with this purifying, purifying message of repentance. Luke 21, verse 8 and 9 says, Take heed that you do not be deceived. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time has drawn near, therefore do not go after them. So, I mean, the, these hardships, there, there's a, and we'll get into this next week a little bit, but when you hear of wars and commotions, do not be terrified, for these things must come to pass first, but the end will not come immediately. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes in various places and famines and pestilence, and there will be fearful sights and great signs from heaven. Again, we understand the church will not go through the tribulation. But for some of these saints here, 
They were going to watch their city be destroyed. How do you think that that made them feel? Like if you were to sit down and realize, like Jesus prophetically is saying, you know, your place of worship, the famines are going to, you know, your families, family members are going to die. Right? There's going, and just going through that list, that, that, that how. And then the next question would be, what, what should they have been doing, right, knowing the seriousness of this? I think that's where that pursuing wisdom and instruction comes. I said, okay, like, what, what do we need to do next? Like, what, what, what is the next steps that, that, that come in? I'd like to read for you, if you have the notes there, um, and I'm not smart enough to get them to Edward ahead of time, and then I don't even think they'd be big enough, but I'd just like to read to you a little bit from Josephus. All right, now, historical account, and I don't want to take away, but it really, for me, it does apply. Knowing that you're going to walk through some of the most horrific life experiences. Right now, Josephus there, I have chapter 5 sitting here. Now, Josephus is a Jewish historian. Now, we'll go and study history for the wars, right? And we'll study there to educate ourselves on that and that. But I think that I don't understand how there's little interest to Jewish history. But as I, I read through, and I mean it, I, got, I love history, but, but, but bringing it, when you begin realizing that the people that are dying in this account, some of them would have been in the temple when Jesus gave them this warning. And I'm going to say in most cases, they did nothing. Right? They, they, they did nothing, or, or they would have fled the city. They would have helped their families understand there would have been an urgency knowing, okay, Jesus, what you're saying is true. Same way for us. We know the tribulation is coming. That's our drive to, to evangelize and disciple, right? I mean, we don't want our loved ones to walk through that. We open our Bibles with them. We teach at every opportunity we can. But just let me read. Um, if you don't have it in front of you, just listen to my voice and try and stay awake. Um, but hopefully you find this fascinating. Uh, it says, The great distress the Jews were in upon the conflagration of the holy house. So just picture the temple. This is about AD 69. I think it's the tail end of the siege. Uh, concerning a false prophet and the signs that preceded this destruction. What did we just read about Jesus saying? No stone's going to be left unturned. Your temple's going to be destroyed. Don't be deceived. False prophets. Right? And he's talked about the signs in the heavens. Okay? Coincidence that Josephus is recording this historically? I don't think so. Whatever Jesus says is true, right? Now, for a first century Jew sitting there listening to these warnings, they live this out. Anyway. It says, While the holy house was on fire, which is the temple... Okay, the war is going on, siege, um, two-year siege, not longer than that. Everything was plundered that came to hand, and 10,000 of those that were caught were slain. Okay, so this is the Jewish people. 10,000 of those that were caught were slain. Nor was there a commiseration of any age or a reverence of gravity, but children and old men and profane persons and priests were all slain in the same manner genocide so that there, this war went round all sorts of men and brought them to destruction as well as those that made supplication for their lives begging as those that defended themselves by fighting the flame was also carried a long way and made an echo together with the groans of those that were slain and because this hill was high and the works at the temple were very great one would have thought that the whole city had been on fire. Nor can one imagine anything either greater or more, more terrible than this noise. You imagine 10,000 suffering, burning, groaning bodies just being slaughtered by Rome. Again, I, this, this isn't just history. Jesus said this was going to happen, and the people did nothing. 
Um, For there was at once a shout of the Roman legions who were marching all together, and a sad clamor of the seditious who were now surrounded with fire and sword. The people also that were left above were beaten back upon the enemy, and under a great consternation, and made sad moans at the calamity they were under. The multitude also that was in the city joined in this outcry with those that were upon the hill, and besides many of those that were worn away by the famine. And their mouths almost closed. I almost picture that. They're so hungry, and they're physically deteriorated, they can't even eat anymore. Like They just, just, just can't. They're not in that place. When they saw the fire of the holy house, they exerted their utmost strength and broke out into groans and outcries again. Can you imagine? And again, I mean, thousands of people just groaning in despair. Perea did also, as the province next to it, also returned the echo as well as the mountains round about the city and augmented the force of the entire noise. Yet was the misery itself more terrible than this disorder. For one would have thought that the hill itself on which the temple stood was seething hot, as full of fire on every part of it, that the blood was larger in quantity than the fire, and that those who were slain were more in number than those that slew them. For the ground did nowhere appear visible for the dead bodies that lay about." I think I got something mixed up here, but it's okay. We get the picture of death, right? And the groaning. Let's come down to point number two. You see the, the bold two there? 281. One of the pages. It says, and now the, Ro- and now the Romans, judging that it was in vain to spare what was around about the holy house, burnt all those holy pla- or burnt all those places, as also the remains of the cloisters and the gates, too accepted, and on the east side and the other on the south, both which, however, they burnt afterwards. They also burnt down the treasury chambers, in which was an immense quantity of money and an immense number of garments and other precious goods there reposited, and to speak all in few words, there it was that the entire riches of the Jews were heaped up together, while the rich people had there built themselves chambers to contain such furniture. Interesting. How when Jesus is in there, and he's looking at the rich people putting their money in, and he's saying, all this is going to be gone. Right? Oh, it's, it's fulfilled. History is speaking to The soldiers also came to the rest of the cloisters that were in the outer court of the temple, whither the women and children and greater mixed multitude of the people fled, in number about 6,000. But before Caesar had determined anything about these people or given the commanders any orders relating to them, the soldiers were in such a rage that they set the cloister on fire, by which means it came to pass that some of these were destroyed by throwing themselves down headlong, and some were burnt in the cloister themselves." nor did any of them escape with his life. A false prophet was the occasion of these people's destruction. Okay, Somebody there that, that is going to lead the deception. Who had made a public proclamation in the city that very day that God commanded them to get up upon the temple that there they should receive miraculous signs of their deliverance. Are we still there? Like, I mean, just, just, just recognize that. The idea, when people come and deceive you, don't listen to them. Jesus had warned. Right? And you had these false prophets there proclaiming, deliverance, deliverance. Now there was a great, then a great number of false prophets suborned by the tyrants to oppose on the people who denounced this to them that they should wait for deliverance from God. This was in order to keep them from deserting. <laughs> that makes sense, Right? He said, don't listen to them. Right? In his next sentence there, when you go back to Luke 21, he said, flee. Right? Run. And yet you had these false prophets saying, stay. 
Right? God's going to deliver us. To keep them from deserting, that they may be buoyed, 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 up above fear and care by such hopes. Now a man that is in adversity does easily comply with such promises. For when such a seducer makes him believe that he shall be delivered from those miseries which oppress him, then it is the patient is full of hopes of such deliverance. We're just going to read a couple of these bullet points. Because Josephus, and again, Jewish historian, first century, recording firsthand witness of these things, either himself or, or interviewing, um, this isn't scripture, this is history. And he's going to list out some things that were happening in Israel as far as what was going on in the heavens. Read with me. Thus were the miserable people persuaded by those deceivers, and such as belied God himself, while they did not attend nor give credit to the signs that were so evident and did so plainly foretell their future desolation, destruction. But like men infatuated without either eyes to see or minds to consider, did not regard the denunciations that God made to them. Now, we'll just read these three points and then we'll be done. Thus there was a star resembling a sword, which stood over the city and a comet that continued a whole year. That's interesting. In Jewish history, there was a star, a comet in the sky for almost a whole year. Okay, this is prior. Thus also before the Jews' rebellion and before those commotions which preceded the war, um, when the people were come in great crowds to the Feast of Unleavened Bread, on the eighth day of the month, Exanthicus, Nisan, and at the ninth hour of the night, so great a light shone around the altar and the holy house that appeared to be bright daytime, which lasted for half hour. Are we talking about signs and heavens and what have you, right? Things going on? You've got a, a comet for a year and you've got this, this unexplained light around the holy of holies for a half hour? This light seemed to be a good sign to the unskillful, but so interpreted by the sacred scribes, as to pretend those events that followed upon, immediately upon it. He goes on to, to list some other observations. Um, but do you see, come, come over to the last page. It says 297 in brackets. This is the thing that kind of struck me. Um, again, this isn't scripture, but you talk about the fear and the recognition. And again, Jesus explained that these things were coming. And here we have a historian recording that these things happened 40 years later. That's pretty significant. And we're living in a day and age where, where much university students and that, they're like, prove it, prove it. Well, you've got history, you've got scripture, you've got prophecy being played out before them. It says, a certain prodigious and incredible phenomenon appeared. I suppose the account of it would seem to be a fable were it not related by those that saw it. Okay, that's how extreme this picture is for the first-hand witness. And were not the events that followed it so considerable a nature as to deserve such signals for before sunsetting, so I mean this is played out, this is the account, before sunset, chariots and troops of soldiers in their armor were seen running about among the clouds and surrounding the cities. Are we catching that? This isn't earthly chariots. They don't run around clouds. The Jews are recording in history that before sunset they were seeing a heavenly army, chariots, and soldiers running around the clouds and surrounding. I mean, I mean again, this isn't scripture, but history is recording something going on in the heavenlies that would have been awfully terrifying as your city, as the famine, as, as everything, as the slaughters going on, and you're seeing heavenly armies dancing in the clouds. Jesus said these things were coming. Now, I'm not going to take this too far, but I mean, prophetically, we know that there's a spiritual war. We know God deals. You read Daniel. God deals with nations. There's all that going on. And here we have history recording this. Um, they're seen running around the clouds surrounding cities. Moreover, at the feast, which we call, and he goes on to some other listing events, but for sake of time, that was the big thing. I remember just, just, just recognize, here is, is history. Jesus said it's coming. 
Some of those younger people sitting in the temple, probably mocking, hardening, some that participated in crucifying Jesus, are watching this played out in AD 70. They're living it. And I thought to myself, what would that have been like? What's going through their mind? Should have believed. He was the Messiah. Should have done something. What would the, you know, like, anyway, I'll just come back to that. I got three points here. I thought to myself, how will Christ handle the believer that did not, that had the word and did not care? And the principle there behind that is, is simply the people in first century, Jesus had given them this prophecy. And the ones that did nothing with it, watched their families die. Watched, watched their families and their circles starve to death. I mean, they're living it out as, as all the events are going on there. I can only think the ones that it actually clicked for. That Jesus of Nazareth told us this was going to happen. And we did nothing with it. That's the near. For the far, for us as New Testament believers, right? For those of us that know that there's a wrath coming on, on unbelievers, that know that there is, there's a judgment coming in a horrific time, what are we doing with that? But are we studying it? Are, are, we, are we seeking to understand that? Are we explaining it? And one day we'll have to answer with what we did with it. Right? That's our responsibility. I thought to myself, how will some believers, knowing that they knew, but either didn't care or did nothing, how will they handle that? And I think that's just, that's just a, a, a growth for me from how many people just don't care about the Word of God. The idea of learning... I mean, I'll study mechanics, I'll rip a transport truck apart, I'll, I'll, I'll study farming, I'll study logging, I'll study anything. I can't understand this. No. Right, I wonder how that's going to happen when, when, when the believer is removed and there's a dawning. I did nothing. And lastly, how will some of the unsaved handle knowing that you knew neither did not care or did nothing. I'm thinking about those people that are left behind, right? In the same way as people being massacred in AD 70 going, there was a prophet that told us it's coming and we didn't know anything about it. Just some serious things to consider. I'm going to maybe package that a little bit. But we got near, near fulfillment. It was very real for them. Far fulfillment, as we look forward to the rapture, this coming judgment and wrath, it's going to be very real for those left behind. And because we have this, we need to study, we need to seek, we need to be intentional, and we have a message to share because there is a line that's already been drawn. Dearly Father, Lord, we've, we've covered, uh, I'm going to say much truth, Lord, and, and when we look at history, I'll call that information. But Lord, I, I know what that does for, for me. Lord, I know I believe that your word is true, regardless of whether history is recorded or whether creation, it, it, regardless, I know your word is true. But Lord, we live in a, wor excuse me, a world that is demanding proof. Lord, almost like that blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, you've given us proof, and I thank you for, for just these things that you can present to us. I pray that they would take them into consideration. Lord, and then we think of just the urgency that comes with understanding these portions of prophecy. We thank you for the cross. We thank you for your spirit. Lord, but I think of the judgment that's coming. Lord, and, and we can't think of it as out in the distant future. If the rapture was to take place, the tribulation would start. And I know I have teens. I know I have young people. I know I have family members that will immediately step into that time, I'm going to say, of, of with your spirit's removal, a time of, of wickedness, a time of, of world philosophy, a time as the Antichrist sets up, Lord, just a time of, of just complete, complete rebellion against you. And then that pain and suffering and judgment will begin. And Lord, that hurts my heart, and it should nudge, nudge us into urgency. And I pray that we as a church would take that responsibility seriously. I pray that we'd do that together. Lord, I pray that you would fill our studies. 
our Bible studies, our time together with your open word. I pray that we would just be a people that would be willing to be used of you, proclaiming your word, not opinions, not ideas, but your truth. And Lord, that you would give us opportunities and that you would soften the hearts, even in our own community, that perhaps think they have it already figured out. Lord, and we understand there's so much more than just heaven and hell. And Lord, I, I, think, I think too many people are comfortable with where they are. And so, Lord, I just pray for these things. We thank you for this time. And uh, we just ask for, for a beautiful afternoon. But Lord, let us remember that it's your day and bring us back together this evening. And I pray these things in your name. Amen.